Hello to all the Rugby League diehards and welcome to another episode of Six to Go. My name is Tom Canfell and it's great to have you company. As we head into today's episode, you know how it works. We will cover six topics related to the game or even their own career. My guest this week is Anthony Seabold. Anthony is the former head coach for the South Sydney Rabbitohs and Brisbane Broncos. He's currently the defence coach for the English Rugby Union team, but has taken some time out after their most recent tour to come on the show and chat some footy. Hope you enjoy our chat. Here's Anthony Seabold. I'm joined by Anthony Seabold as the next guest of the 60 Go podcast. Seabes, how are you, mate? Good, thank you, Tom. Good to chat, mate. Well, Seabes, it's a pleasure to have you on. I've got six topics to cover with you today, and I'll kick things off with your time at South Sydney. 2017, they finished 12th. You take over in 2018. The only gains in that team were Dane Gagai and Mark Nichols. Now, as a Queenslander, I love Dane Gagai as much as the next person. But when you took over, what did you see in that team that you could change to get the results just one season later? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one of the, the things that I did see there, you know, there was plenty of talent in the team and it's probably just about getting the right people in the right positions, but also getting guys on the field. Like, uh, you know, you spoke about the year prior coming 12th, um, you know, Greg Inglis did his ACL very first game of the season against the West Tigers. And, you know, he was a big loss. He was the, the captain of the, of the club at the time and, you know, super talented player. So, you know, missed him all of the 2017 season. Um, Cody Walker played fullback most of the year and I just thought his best position was uh, playing as the left half, um, you know, in the number six jersey. And, and the other change I suppose we made was, um, you know, we gave Damien Cook an opportunity. Cookie had played fullback uh, but had predominantly come off the bench as a hooker in 2017. And even at times he was 18th man. But... I just saw how our community was getting better and um, how we wanted to play, mate, just putting Cody in the six, um, you know, Damien Cook in the number nine, and then getting Greg back on the park. Um, you know, that would probably be, um, you know, contributors. And then I just thought the, the guys had a really good pre-season. Um, yeah, so we felt internally that we, um, you know, we could jump up the ladder. We probably, you know, you never sort of realise how high you can go. Um and probably surprise some people that year, but yeah, internally we knew that we could make um, a significant improvement. Damien Cook arguably had a career year under yourself. Uh, for the club, though, what what were your expectations heading into that year? Um, well, look, there was no real pressure put on me internally from um, you know, the board or um, you know, um, you know, Russell Crowe or the chairman. Um, you know, there, there, there wasn't that pressure. Um, we just wanted to, you know, have as good a pre-season as, you know, as, as possible. Um, but, look, we we felt as though we could be, a, um, you know, a contender. That's, you know, internally, that's what we felt. But we didn't talk about it. We didn't say, oh, we want to be a top four team or we want to be, you know, a top eight team. We just wanted to have the best preparation ever. And I remember we had a bit of a theme that pre-season and, uh, it was probably built a little bit off the back of we wanted to have like a like an Olympic preparation during the pre-season. We actually had our camp down in the Australian Institute of Sport in Canberra and we really themed up our pre-season around um, you know, training as professionally, preparing as professionally as we could and um, having a gold medal prep and, and, and we thought we got that. So I, I think, you know, then 
having a good preseason. And we, we played really well against the Dragons. We had a good side that year, the Charity Shield. I think that probably surprised a few people. But off the back of that, we actually lost our first two games of the season. So uh, for all the um, hard work and the improvements we made, you know, physically and with our game model um, and, you know, individually off the field, we still didn't jump out of the box, you know, you know that well in the first two games. But, um, yeah, the, the more the season progressed, the, the better we got. What's it like being a coach for a club with the owner being Russell Crowe? You mentioned him just then. Is there is there much interaction between yourself and Russell? Is he around a lot? I've spoken to a few players, but I'd, I'd like to get your perspective as a coach. I found him to be very supportive, um, you know, as, as one of the owners of the club, I think. Um, you know, I only met him a couple of times in 2017 when I was an assistant coach there. But once, um, you know, I'd been uh, promoted to head coach, you know, uh, Russell flew me up to his property up in Coffs Harbour, or just outside of Coffs Harbour, to spend a couple of days with him. And uh, Dave Flanner, who was one of our assistant coaches, and also Shane Richardson, our uh, general manager of football at the time. And, um, yeah, Russell treated us very well and treated me very well. Um, you know, got to have dinner and meet with his parents um, on his property. And as I said, it was a really good couple of days to get to know him better and, and just his passion for, um, you know, South Sydney Rabbitohs was, was really evident. It was a really good couple of days. As I said, it was in the off-season and um, yeah, really enjoyed getting to know him on a personal level. And, and then during that year, he was very, very supportive of, of me and, uh, and what we were trying to do as a group. And um, Yeah, I thought he was, um, yeah, he was really good to work for. The year ended with a preliminary final loss against the Roosters. Um, but, see, you're involved in two of the most extraordinary games in the past 10 years during that final series. Uh, the 29-28 loss to Melbourne and then the 13-12 win against the Dragons where Adam Reynolds kicked three field goals to win it. Like I said, you would lose in the preliminary final to the eventual premiers. How do you look back on that final series and the year as a whole? But Because you must you must be happy to... To um, a lot of people wouldn't have expected you to finish third that year. I'll put it that, I'll put it that way. Yeah, no, we we made significant improvement. We went from a team I think that finished thirteenth for points scored in um, twenty seventeen to you know scoring the most points um, in in that season, um, and we're also a top four defensive side. So we made significant improvement. And, and that, those couple of finals games that you spoke about were were epic games. I mean. The game down in Melbourne was as good as you'll see. Um, yeah, Cameron must have field goal with you know, about two and a half minutes to go uh, to win it for the Storm, 29-28. Um, you know, after we were leading 28-22 with not long to go, every time we sort of looked like we were going to pull away from the Storm, you know, to their credit, they, they come up with, with um, you know, come up with a try, you know, from, from great, um, execution of skill. Yeah, you know, there was one there right before half time. Uh, Brady Croft, there was a show and go um, on Sam Burgess, and, and then he kicked the ball for Sully Mutavala, who, who got the bounce, and, and that put him in front at half time. And then uh, they scored a uh, not too dissimilar try. I think it was Chase Blair from memory um, towards the back end of the game to tie it up. Uh, but it just, yeah, every time they looked to pull away, they just had so much class. And you know, look at the team they had at the time, you know, like you know, Slater and um, you know, Munster and Cameron Smith and, and those sorts of players. And then the, the, the second week of the finals was extraordinary game again. Like, you know, Renault kicked three field goals the back end of the game to, to get us a result. Uh, it was a really tough game, that one. The Dragons had a really good side that year. 
Um, every game we come up against them, we play them four times, including the Charity Shield. It's a real contest. And, um, yeah, but, you know, Adam Reynolds under pressure. You can see what he's doing for the Brisbane Broncos at the moment. You know, he's made significant impacts um, on, on the way they play and their performances this year. And mate, yeah, he did that. He did the job for us that night, um, and we were really gritty, mate. We, we we didn't attack that well that particular night, and Dragons are really good defensively. And yeah, we just found a way. Just you know, I suppose that's one of the things we did really well at training. We used to do lots of situational training or scenario training where we put a, a score up on the scoreboard and, and put a um, you know time of game. You know, or maybe three minutes to go down by four. You know, go and win the game, or you know, seven minutes to go up by six, go and close the game out. We do lots of scenario-based training. And one of the things the players said to me was, in some of the tight games that we won or lost, that they're going back to what they did at training. And um, I reckon, you know, on that occasion, we we, um, we got a right camera, Murray got a one-on-one steal uh, for Renault's, for one of Renault's, Renault's um, field goals there. Um, a couple of players played the balls before. So there were some big players in the game. And, and then the Roosters were too good the following week. I think it was four or half-time. And uh, we'd had some epic games against them during the year as well. But, yeah, they, um, they were too good in the second half and, and, and beat us 12-4. And, and they beat the Storm pretty comfortably the following week in the grand final. So uh, it wasn't to be, but, um, yeah, it was a successful season, we thought. Apart from wins and losses, Seebs, what's the biggest challenge for, from your opinion as a head coach? Um, well, the wins and losses aren't. You know, the biggest challenge. Um, the, the biggest challenge is getting you know, dragged away from from what the core of your role is. You know, I remember Craig Bellamy when I worked for him had a saying that he got from the NBA, a very famous coach called Pat Riley, and it was um, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. It was something that Pat Riley used to talk about as a coach um, when he was a head coach. He wanted to keep the main thing the main thing, and I remember that always sort of having that mantra and, and passing that on to us as coaches. And I think one of the things um, that does happen as a head coach, you get dragged into, um, you know, things outside of actually preparing the team for the week. When you're an assistant coach, it's all about relationships and the X's and the O's and, um, you know, helping the players improve individually and collectively. Whereas as a head coach, maybe there's, you know, you can get dragged into all sorts of stuff, you know, whether it's salary cap or recruitment retention, um, you know, boards, um, you know, media, sponsorship stuff. Um, so you need to have, in particular, you need to have a really, really um, strong and, um, you know, good working relationship with the general manager of football. Frank Panisi is probably the best um, there is in the game at the moment. Shane Richardson at South Sydney was exceptional. He, um, it was really good taking away a lot of the distractions from from myself as a head coach, and we had a really good working relationship there. Um, it's probably one of the challenges I have when I went to Brisbane. Just um, yeah, there was so much away from the actual preparation of the team, and yeah, that's that, that's probably the biggest challenge not the not the wins and the losses, but but all the other stuff that goes with being a head coach. There's cliches that players and coaches throw out there, such as "I don't read the papers," but whether it's good or bad. As a head coach, how significant is pressure created on yourself by the media cycle? And by media cycle, I mean everything from just journos to former players. Um, you know, of course. I mean, it's hard not to, to see it, you know, because what I found in my experience in any case is that, you know, the people who care about you, whether you know, they're part of the club or family, friends, um, people you work with, 
you know, they'll often send you messages of support or send you sometimes they'd send you different articles or whatever. And, um, so it's, it is hard to, to to get away from whatever narratives um, created at the time in the media. Um, at the time, it's um, there's one or two ways you can get distracted with it or um, you just try and focus on what you can control. So, I mean, I think at times I handle it well, at times I, I did it. Um, but I think, you know, you'd see what, um, you know, some of the dialogue in recent times about, you know, coaches or, you know, should they be sacked, should they be kept on, et cetera, et cetera. Pretty much what it does. You know, we've got a probably 24-hour media cycle now um, in Australia with, with the NRL and, and AFL and, you know, those two sports in particular. So they're always looking for content. So there's always going to be content um, created and, and narratives created and, um, you know, agendas given and so on. So um, the way you've got to think about it, mate, is um, essentially – you know, media are trying to get clicks, right? Because, they, you know, that, that's the reality. Um, um, so, you know, the crash of headlines or crash of stories and the drama that goes along with NRL in Australia or AFL in Australia, that's just part of the narrative. And, um, you know, some of it's not fair, some of it probably is fair. But, um, yeah, it, it's, it's the nature of being a head coach. You know, that's the big difference. You know, some of the young assistant coaches who... Uh, getting opportunities as head coaches in the NRL now, that, that'll be the biggest difference that they find. When you look at someone like Craig Bellamy, he's been in one position for 20-odd years, and the fact that they don't go through any sort of rebuilding phases, they're always contending for a premiership. You've worked with him. What's the, What do you think is the key to his long-term success down there at Melbourne? Oh, well, he's got... Um, well, first of all, he's um, you know, got a fantastic work ethic, and he's super you know, so far with what he does individually. But then I think he's got a great support network around him. As I spoke about Frank Panisi, who I've got so much respect for. He's the general manager of football down there. Um, the pressure um, and the workload he takes away from, from um, Paliak is, is immense. And, um, you know, I think the people in the place were standouts, you know, for me. So, you know, from the other coaches to other you know, people in welfare, um, you know, people in the front office. It was just, um, it was just a place that, um, had the right people in the right positions there. I think the same goes with the playing group. You know, there were some great mentors for um, the younger players when Ballyhack first started back in 2003. I think, you know, guys like Robbie Kearns and, and Steve Kearney, those types of guys were fantastic mentors to the people like Cameron Smith and Ryan Hoffman and Billy Slater and uh, Cooper Crock and all those guys who come through who are similar age. So I think that's been a, a fantastic transition from, you know, one... Um, playing group to the next, you know, I think that's clearly um, yeah, there to be seen. You know, like Ryan Pappenhausen's coming in now. He's not Billy Slater, and probably no one's ever going to be um, as good as Billy. But you know, Pappenhausen comes in, or Jerome Hughes comes in for Cooper Cronk, or Cameron Munster comes in for for um, you know one of the other uh, big three players. Uh, Harry Grant, who's obviously a, a European local, you know, comes in, and again, he's not Cameron Smith, but look, he's a Queensland State of Origin hooker. Um, you know, great ability, great talent. So, yeah, they've just got a really good, um, I suppose, recruitment retention program and just really good people in the place. I think, um, you know, as a leader, Bellyhack is, um, you know, is, is, is fantastic. Yeah, really good. I'd like to talk about one player in particular that you've coached. Uh, you copped some criticism at the time for making Pat Carrigan captain after only a game or two of first grade. Fast forward, and he's probably the next Queensland captain and one of the most elite middles 
in the game. Can you talk to me about Pat and how you've seen his development in his still young career? I just thought at the time, um, you know, we, we'd given 12 guys there to Berg um, that season in 2019, and we made the finals, which in a lot of ways was a pretty pretty good effort. But we got blown, you know, blown away um, in, a, in a really poor defeat against Parramatta. And I just thought, you know, we needed some change. We needed to probably regenerate the leadership group there and give some responsibility or ownership to the younger players. And, um, you know, Pat Carrigan was a sort of standout leader to me. Um, you know, for a young guy who's 21 at the time, he had been a school captain. Um, he was a physiotherapy um, student. You know, so he was, um, he was a smart young guy, carried himself really well, uh, exceptional trainer. And I just thought, you know what, well, this is the type of character that we want to build the club around. And, you know, I'd, I'd say that about Tom Deere as well. You know, a lot of the decisions we made on young players, I mean, it's, it's you know, they're, they're starting to prove and they've proven why we put so much faith in those younger players to start with. The shame of it all is that, you know, Tommy Deere's not playing for the Broncos anymore. He's he's at the Cowboys. Um, you know, Xavier Coates, he's not there anymore. He's he's at Melbourne Storm in some ways. But you know, Xavier, like we gave him his debut at 18. We gave Tommy Deere his debut at 18. Paddy, as I said, um, you know, was a captain before um, his time. Yeah, probably was, but we needed to try and make some inroads there from, from a uh, cultural perspective and, and try and, you know, hand over the team to um, that younger playing group because, um, you know, we didn't want to be stifled. And, you know, there's been plenty to go on there. Um, and, you know, because the club produces so many good young players, we're never going to be able to keep them all, you know. There's a lot of criticism at the time for for not keeping Sam Walker, but, you know, um, really early in the piece, it was indicated to us that Sam was going to go to the Roosters. And, you know, Tom Dean was, was already, um, you know, in that sort of young halfback's position. Um, you know, there's also Tanner Boyd at the club at the time. So, you know, there was, there was some good young halfbacks coming through, but the nature of the Broncos, they can't keep them all because they do have such a good academy. Probably Paneth and, and Brisbane um, produce you know, the most players, um, you know, that I can sort of see, you know, from a quality perspective. And, um, yeah, but Paddy was just an exceptional young leader. And, um, you know, it's great to see him kick on and win the Wally Lewis medal. Uh, it's great to see Tommy did make his debut. Um, you know, Xavier played Origin in his second year. Um, and, you know, that's not to even talk about Flegler, who's made his Origin debut now. Uh, we gave him his debut in 2019 in round one. Yeah, guys like Herbie Farnworth and Katani Staggs and um, you know, Payne House was always going to be um, the player that he is now. Um, that was there for everyone to see even before I got there. So, yeah, it's really uh, I'm really pleased that those guys are finding some success and individual success. You mentioned Tom Deard, and can, can I just ask you, what was your reaction when you heard Cam Munster out of Origin 3, Tom Dearden replacing Cam Munster. Uh, now, naturally, for any Queensland fan, you lose Cam Munster, our best player. There's a natural deflating feeling there. But for you, someone who's coached Tom Dearden, can I can I ask you what you felt at the time when you heard he was going to make his debut in a decider? Oh, he's a truly young guy, so I was super pleased. You know, I think, um, you know, the way Tom carried himself as a... Well, he was 17 when he started the preseason, but as he came back from the Australian School Boys Tour, um, which was the end of 2018, and he started with this just after Christmas of, of 2019. And um, just the way he carried himself, he, he, he was forever watching tape, you know, forever watching video, um, all by the halfbacks. Um, 
and there's just something about him. I just thought he competed really hard at training. And we, we started the year really clunky. Uh, we had a pretty disruptive pre-season. And I think it was, I don't know, around seven or around eight. I just thought, you know what, he's turned 18 now, so we can play him in first grade. And, you know, he was criticised a lot um, when he came back from a couple of big injuries. But well, to put it in context with Tommy, he won. He was the halfback in our team. When we beat Manly, when we beat Roosters, when we beat the Warriors. Um, on the boo, we got um, beaten up a little bit by South Sydney. Uh, and then he broke his leg against Gold Coast in his fifth game. So he had a really positive start to his career. But then he broke his leg, tried to come back at the back end of the season, broke it again. And then he had a really disruptive sort of 2020 um, season because, you know, there was no Queensland Cup. He was coming back for a second broken leg and, so, so I'm just so pleased, mate, that he's playing good footy. Obviously, Top Eight and, and the guys up there have done a really good job uh, bringing, bringing his game on. I think Chad Towns has been a great mentor. I'm just I'm super pleased for him, mate. He's from a lovely family. and um, I just know how much it would mean to, to his family. And, you know, he grew up in the car and, and finished school at the Gold Coast. So I'm really pleased for, for him to see some individual success. Seems who was the best player you coached? Um, that's a really tough one. I, I think... Um, I'll probably name four or five guys, mate, because it's really hard to put it on. Right? Like Cameron Smith, like, you know, working at the Storm and then being that Queensland Origin um, assistant coach for a couple of years. And, you, you, like, you know, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, um just outstanding players. You know, worked really hard. Cooper Cronk was another one. Like, you know, just working with Jonathan Thurston in Queensland Origin, just, um, you know, it was just so good to see how he prepared and, how that preparation and mental performance. So they're probably four guys. And then Greg Inglis, mate, like Greg, just having him in the change room at South. Um, as I said, we missed him in 2017. He just had a presence, mate. He could just do something. You know, when you had Greg, I just remember looking, when you had Greg in the locker room before the game, he just knew that um, you're a chance, you know, just because of, you know, how skillful he was, um, you know, how powerful he was. So they're probably five of the, the guys that are coaching the NRL, um, you know, and I'm coaching some really talented guys with the England Rugby Union team at the moment, but they're probably the five guys that really stand out in the NRL. Can I ask you who gave you the most nightmares as a head coach when you're looking at opposition teams? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. I think, um, you know, Tedesco in particular, um, you know, Bunnies and Roosters had a really big rivalry, and, and when Cooper, Gronk and, and Tedesco went there in 2018, we actually fouled them up. Uh, pretty well early in the year. We beat them, I think it was 28-10 at the Sydney Footy Stadium. But really physical. Uh, and we did so much preparation and put the inside pressure on Cooper Cronk. But the, the bulk of our preparation was how we want to contain Tedesco because at the time, you know, uh, he was a real threat. Um, back then in the field, you know, coming out of there, Harvey still does it today. You know, he's on that inside pass with some of their big forwards. So, you know, our markers, you know, calling him out and, uh, and filling the space on, on him when, when he gets the ball. Um, and then at the back of side, because he's so electric and he can just get across the field. So I reckon he was one that in particular, just, he just had the game plan so well. Um, Tommy Trebojevic was another one, you know, for, for similar reasons. You know, just, you know, if they had time and space, they could just do so much damage. Um, and then, you know, the other one that was hard, like the, the year... Um, in 2018, we, we had some. We had two really big games against the Storm. We we won one and they won one. And you know, even um, you know, I suppose you know, coming up against um, you know, a guy like Billy Slater or Cameron Smith, just what they they're so good tactically, Tom. And so you always um, you know had to have your preparation um, you know on point for when you 
when you're coming up against them because I tactical can really pull you apart and I can make tactical adjustments within the game. And, um, yeah, but so, you know, you, you need to be on top of your preparation that week and, you know, not just planning, you know, not having a, you know, a plan A, you need a plan B against guys like Smith and, and um, Billy Slater. I'd like to talk about the state of the game. You were coaching at the Broncos when the COVID break happened, and during that time, the six again rule came in. The rules have evolved a lot in the past couple of years in particular. Do you think we're in a better place now? Oh, look, I'm not a fan of six again. I'm not sure why. Um, you know, certainly had an impact on us, uh, the Broncos at the time. We'd won our first two games against the Cowboys away and against the good South Sydney team at home. Um, it really had an impact on, on us, you know, just the subjective nature of, of the rule. Um, and we're like guinea pigs in some way because we got the, the resumption of sport um, in this country up and running again. We played Parramatta. And I remember it was about the third or fourth tackle of the night and they ruled, you know, six again on Jake Turpin, which just every day of the week would never have been apparently. But, yeah, so I thought it was really subjective. I still think it is. Um, and they've, they've changed the rules a little bit. You know, it's a full penalty now for teams coming out of out of their end of the field and, it still sits again when teams are attacking, um, you know, in good ball, so that's the other end of the field. Um, I'm probably a little bit of a traditionalist in that way, mate. I'd probably prefer the full panel. You know, you, we've seen a result this year where the referee gives six again rather than a full panel and the team's down by two with not long to go. You know what I mean? And, and teams are deliberately giving away penalties. So I think there's a fair bit of grey there. Um, the, the, the nature of the game, though, is great. But like, you look at the skill level and the athleticism of the players, um, and, you know, so athleticism from the way that wingers and centers score tries to how good they are in the air to, um, you know, the ability of, of forwards to, to offload in traffic or have a pre-line pass to, you know, the ability of the, the halfbacks and, you know, just the execution of their kicking game and how good they are. Like the skill level in their game, the athleticism in their game um, is as good as it's ever been. Um, I just don't like the constant change of the rules. You know, working in rugby union now, I think because the sport is a worldwide sport, from my experience working in the game for 12 months now, there's nowhere near the amount of rule changes because it is a world game and, and to get a real change, you can't just have one person say, oh, we're going to change the rule, you know, for TV or we're going to change the rule um, because of this reason. It has to go through a, a thorough process. So, um, yeah, I'm not a fan of constant ch- changing of, of rules, but... I'm just, yeah, the games is as good as ever been. I was talking to Josh Hannay about this, and he issued a caution that we don't want to eliminate the big men from our game with speeding up the game too much. Do you agree that we probably have tilted the game towards prioritising smaller middle forwards like Victor Radley and Cam Murray, for example? And I'm not saying that they're not great, because they are. But do you think we've gone a little bit too far? Uh, possibly. But, you know, I do agree with Josh. You don't want to take away, you know, from the big men. I mean, I think of... Um, Jared Hargraves and the Roosters, you know, big body, um, you know, has a real physical presence when he carries the ball and gets his body in front. Um, you know, so you still want those, you know, types of guys, Nelson, Sofa Solomon, those types of guys, you want them in the game because they have a real physical presence. Um, but, you know, you, you see a lot of teams will sort of have a couple of big bodies up front and then probably have a bit more of a mobile back row. Like, if you look at the Roosters at the moment, like you know, Victor Adley, uh, Matt Butcher and Angus Crichton aren't big but they've got great leg speed get in the park really well. And then they've got a couple of big boppers like Matt Lodge and, uh, and Jared, uh, who I mentioned. You know, so they've probably got a bit of a balance. So I think for each forward pack, you know, having a bit of a balance in, you know, the type of player they're having in the team is, um, you know, it's probably crucial at the moment with how quick the game is. 
Um, yeah, so, but, but, you know, I certainly wouldn't want the the big man, um, you know, not being able to handle the speed of our game because it's got too chaotic or it's got too quick. Is that is that why Payne Haas is so so impactful? Because he seems to be a bit of a unicorn amongst middle yeah. forwards in the game at the moment. I, it, it, yeah, physically he's a freak, mate. Like, um, you know, I've been to a number of different clubs and, and big clubs and successful clubs, you know, so, you know, Melbourne, South, had a year at Manly and then at Brisbane. And I've never seen GPS data like Payne from training. Like, you know, comparing him to... All the elite forwards at those other clubs, I just no one got near him. You know, so whether it was um, how, um, how fast he can run, um, you know, so his, his metres per second or um, the amount of um, acceleration, decelerations he would do per minute or his high speed running or his uh, metres per minute, like that would just, I've never seen anyone like it. And um, like he's obviously trained, you know, um, really hard as a young guy. Um, he had a, yeah, a ferocious work ethic. I just never seen numbers recorded at training or in games like pain. And, um, yeah, he's, um, yeah, and he's, he, physically, he's, he's, um, he's a freak, really, isn't he? You know? And he's, he, you know, combined that with, you know, good feet. He's, he's quite evasive. Uh, you know, the next part of his game, you know, to add some variation, you know, he's starting to do that now. He's sort of starting to, to play a little bit more, have a pass in his game, uh, particularly when they go to the right edge there with the Tony Stags. But often playing this is um, on the inside as one of the ball players. So that's sort of the, the, the add-on to his game. You know, having a pretty long pass, but yeah, he's a freak. Last question about the state of the game. Do you believe that there's enough talent in the game to expand to 17 teams next year and what will eventually be 18 sooner rather than later, you would think? Uh, look, I think there is. It's just how... Um, as a game, rugby league develops those players. You know, some some clubs are development clubs. Like, I mentioned Brisbane and Penrith before. Like, you know, going out to Penrith, I was out there a couple of Wednesdays ago, um, and just you know what they have done there to set up their academy and, and develop their players. Obviously, you know, Phil Gould was was um, integral to setting that up um, a decade ago, and yeah, the, the pathway or the um, you know, the, the possession line of, of um, you know, five have coming through that system is remarkable. And it's the same with Brisbane, mate. Like, uh, when I was there, one of the things that was just a, a competitive advantage or a weapon in, in Brisbane's um, system was, was how they developed their young players. The challenge for those clubs, and you see now with Penrith, like, you know, Redcliffe have come in and bought some of the really good Penrith juniors, and Brisbane were, were getting picked apart all the time, you know, um, because you can't keep everyone. No, everyone's got to understand, like, as a salary cap, you know, so if you're already committed to, to some players in this, or some young players in the salary cap, you can't commit to a walk. So, you know, and, and so, so there's some disadvantages as well, but they're two really good development clubs, and then there's some clubs that don't develop players. So it'll be just what what development pathways we have at, at the clubs, um, how best to invest your time and, and um, resources into developing players. Um, and I think it will probably stop the, you know, some of the drain to the Super League uh, to England. They also need to look outside our markets. I think you know we've seen some English players recruited and do really well. You know, particularly Canberra, they've used that as a bit of a, um, a recruitment um, area. I think you know need to be really um, resourceful and um, you know, look outside. Um, you know, 
our game and, and you know and, and go back to looking at um, you know New Zealand and Tonga and Fiji and, and, and all those areas. It's going to be quite competitive to get the right players. Um, do we have enough talent? I just reckon it's how we develop players over the next couple of years and what clubs do in that space. And they just can't rely on being recruitment clubs. Steve, so at what point in your life did you think, I want to be an NRL head coach? And at what point did you think that that goal was a realistic possibility? Uh, it's, it's a really interesting one because it's not something that I ever thought about when I started coaching. Like I started, um, I, I played, um, I finished playing footy over in the UK and I come back to teach in high school and busy. And the Broncos asked me would I um, play and, and captain their um, Clydesdale team in the Queensland Cup. So that was 2005. And I was doing a little bit of coaching with the younger guys in our, in our squad that year. Um, and I was coaching at school. So I was just doing it because I enjoyed it. And then I, John Dixon, who was the um, Clydesdale's coach, he got a um, head coaching role with the new franchise over in the UK. And he said, look, mate, would you come over and help set it up. So I spent 12 months over there sort of doing well, a combination of different roles, but that probably went the appetite for coaching. But then I, I went away from coaching. I went back to work at the university as a, as a, as a uni lecturer um, at the University of Southern Queensland. So I sort of, it was almost like a bit of a stop start for the first couple of years. And uh, the long story short, you know, I ended up coaching over in England again for, over in the UK again for a couple of years and come, come home, coach Queensland Cup. I was enjoying it. And I probably had a, decision to make, was I going to go back into um, education at uh, university level or was I going to stick with coaching? And, um, you know, in some ways, um, I had a good opportunity presented to me to go down to be kind of 20s coach in Melbourne. And um, again, mate, still when I was doing that, I had no thoughts of, of being a head coach. Um, it probably wasn't until I got some opportunities, you know, like with Queensland State of Origin, I was the assistant coach there for a couple of seasons, um, you know, and, you know, you're working at that level there with the very elite players and you, know, you get some confidence out of you know, having worked with Craig Bellamy and having worked with um, you know, the other staff and you know, the sort of really elite players at Melbourne. And then I went to a different system to learn you know, how Manly had success and you know, working with guys like Brett Stewart and Jamie Lyon there. And then you know, I had the opportunity to, to work at South and you know, some, some really talented players there. So all of a sudden you build up, I suppose, this you know, bank of experience. Um, and, and, you know, the, the, the role sort of was, um, you know, topped on me after Michael uh, McGuire had been moved on. So it wasn't something that I thought about. I had a, um, a head coach role with an English Super League club offered to me um, towards the back end of that 2017 season. Um, and I thought about taking that. And that's probably when I thought, you know what, um, you know, there might be some opportunities to be a head coach um, overseas or, or here. And then, um, yeah, I suppose it was just something that then you know, got an opportunity um, and did well in that first year. And then obviously things, um, you know, didn't go great at Brisbane, but, um, yeah, it wasn't something I set out to do. It was just almost like I've got one opportunity and got another one and you do a decent job and, and, you know, you get promoted to a different type of role and so on. It was almost just a bit of a, a bit of a pathway. But I, I've been working as a as a coach for 12 years before, well, like, yeah, as my full-time job for 12 years before I got uh, the head coaching role at South. So it wasn't an overnight thing when I got that. It was, it was um, you know, it was 12 years of working at all different levels, um, both in the UK and, and here in Australia. Just from a coaching perspective, who, who's had the biggest influence on you over your career? Well, there's probably a couple of people. Um, 
Look, John Dixon, who I mentioned before, he was at the Brisbane Broncos for 10 years. Um, he had a really big influence on me when I went back there to play for that close outside. I was, I was a school teacher at the time, and um, and John just had a, a great way with the young players. Like he, in you know, in that team that year, there was guys like Berg Barnes and um, Nick Kenny, Sam Friday, um, Tommy Leroy Lars, Neville Costigan, um, you know, Stephen Michaels, Greg Eastwood. Like there was all these brilliant young players. I just thought he was so good for them, just the way he coached and taught them and, and developed them um, individually, in particular, you know, their skill level and their education. So he had a big influence on me. And then I worked with him over in the UK for a few years. He's he just a really good man. And then Frank Panese had a had an enormous influence on me when I was at the Storm. We just, you know, I don't know whether mentor is the right word, but I just, I just thought he had such, um, you know, wisdom. Um, and he's someone I still keep in touch with. Um, yeah, Craig Bellamy was, was brilliant. And I've I got to say, you know, Craig Bellamy, working with him for a few years was like doing an apprenticeship with, you know, a master builder, you know. Um, that's the way I look at it. Um, you know, so those, those couple of guys in particular. I think um, the other thing that influenced me was just, Probably my teaching background. Um, you know, I learned a lot of ways teaching is coaching, so there's a lot of transferable skills. Um, but yeah, it's, it's probably a number of different people rather than one individual. Um, and over different periods of time, there's different influences that you have that sort of shape your philosophy and so on. But um, yeah, I've been lucky to, yeah, to, to be exposed to some really, you know, really good people, really good coaches. Can I ask when you won Dallium Coach of the Year? Who was your first phone call or text from? Um, I can't remember, to be fair. Um, my wife, you know, uh, fortunately my wife was there with me that night. Um, yeah, so it was great to celebrate it with her. It probably would have been one of the kids um, from memory on, on our WhatsApp or something like that. You know, they, they make a lot of sacrifices uh, in a lot of ways being a coach. Um, you know, it can be quite selfish because it's, it's almost like a 24-7 role, you know, and you've got... You know, 36 players plus you know, 20 odd staff that you are the head coach of and the leader of. And, um, your time is is um, yeah, your time is is spread throughout that, or, or focused around that. So um, yeah, I mean, I dedicated that to my family because they made a lot, of, a lot of sacrifices, and Kate made more sacrifices after that. Um, but yeah, it would have been a lot of my old schoolmates from St. Brennan's up in the Queen. Um, again, we're on a WhatsApp group, so I, you know, I remember that. There's, um, you know, full of messages and you know, guys like Wendell Salad, you know, guys like that who I, you know, lived with when we were young blokes, and um, yeah, at least a lot of friends and family. Can I ask what that meant to you? Because 12 months earlier, says you, you, you'd never even coached a game full time in the NRL. Yeah. Like, you couldn't even imagine that 12 months earlier. No, I mean, it's not something that you crave or you think about. You know, I trade the Dalian Coach of the Year Award for a premiership that year every day of the week, yep. you know. Um, but, like, I do remember saying when I accepted the award that it was a reflection of um, what we had done as a club. Oh, I think the Dalian Coach of the Year is, is a reward or an award for not you individually, but it's a reflection of, of the playing group and the staff um, just as important that you work with because it's a collective effort, you know. So I know the head coaches are the ones who are in the spotlight and they get praised or, um, you know, ridiculed for performances, you know, around wins and losses, but it's a collective, it's a collective approach. So I thought it was a really good award for us as a club because we had, the reality of it was, Tom, we, we had finished 12 two years in a row there at South Sydney. 
um, and the club hadn't won a final um, since 2014. So um, it had been a couple of challenging years there for the club after you know the you know the Spurs were winning the 2014 Premiership. So you know the, the playing players went really hard, the staff went really hard, um, and, and the the off-field um, administration had worked really hard. And, um, but yeah, that that award was. I, no, as I said, I think that's more a reflection of the club than just one person. You're a part of the English Rugby Union set up at the moment. They're going well at the moment. Uh, how did that opportunity arise for yourself, working with Eddie? Yeah, well, um, I met Eddie when I was at South, and look, he, he loves rugby league, and um, he's a, he's a Rabbitohs supporter, and has been since he was a kid. So I met him, I think the first time was in 2016, and then um, met again in 2017. Uh, but he, yeah, he stayed in touch. So he was quite interested in what we had done to, to improve performances there. The Rabbitohs in 2018, um, boy, there was you know a pretty um, steep level of improvement um, tactically, technically, what we had changed and so on, uh, how we had prepared and so on. And then when I went to Brisbane, um, and things weren't going well, he still stayed in touch, and he was you know, very generous with his time um, and with his thoughts and ideas. So we'd had a, um, you know, like a, I suppose, you know, a fair bit of experience doing some shared learning with each other over a few years. And like he's, a, he's an elite coach, right? So, you know, to have any time with him was always, you know, I'd always learn stuff. Um, so anyway, yeah, we, we'd, we'd stayed in touch. I went over there at the end of 2018 and spent um, a day with him at the England uh, facility there. And, um, and then during the tough times at, at Brisbane when we weren't, when things weren't going well, uh, in particular 2020, uh, he was ever in touch. And then one of the things, um, he was the first person to give me an opportunity after I finished the Bronx and said, would you do some projects for me um, externally? You know, so I was doing some, yeah, some some projects for, for Eddie um, from here in Australia. And and then last July, um, he contacted me and just said, mate, look at what would you think about coming on working full time through to the World Cup? So yeah, Eddie gave me that opportunity. I've yeah been um, well officially um, full time for ten months with England. And, uh, unofficially, I had already been doing some projects for, for, for probably about the six months prior to that. And uh, yeah, we've had eleven Test matches. We've won seven from our eleven Test matches since I've been involved. We had a a really enjoyable tour to Australia where we where we um you know, once we won the series against the Wallabies and um you know it's the only second time in in uh, English um Union history that they've won a um a tour out here. So you know, it was a significant result for for the, the group. Um yeah and, and at the moment, you know, it's all going well I'll, I'll um you know, I'll get an opportunity to finish my time with England at the World Cup, which is uh, next September, October. So yeah, Eddie's been um, been good to me. Um, yeah, it's a really enjoyable program to work in. You know, um, you know working with the elite players in, in the game over there, and in England, they have a lot of talent. It's a big rugby nation. Like every game they play, two comes eighty-two thousand sellout. Like it's pretty special. Even though you're involved in rugby union now, could you see yourself ever coming back to rugby league? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So I, I still stay involved with the game. I I do. Um, um, what's called the game plan and, and then all the previews on the NRL um, website each week, nrl.com. So I watch a lot of um, footy in preparation for, for that role, which, which, I, which I film each week. 
Um, and then I do um, like uh, um, SCN radio with Matty White on Wednesday mornings. I I um, have the game plan on that. So, you know, we talk uh, tactically and from a coach's perspective each and every week. So, again, like I watch a lot of footy for that. And then I'm, I'm commentating one game a week on SCN radio whilst I'm back here in Australia, which has been really good. Mate. I really enjoyed that. But, you know, what it does, it keeps you um, abreast of... of um, you know, what's going on in the game. And, um, yeah, so, man, I, yeah, this and myself going back to rugby league, but this opportunity is just too good of a, a coaching experience and coaching opportunity to pass up, you know, working at, um, you know, one of the biggest nations in, in world rugby and, um, you know, working as a, um assistant coach for, for Eddie Jones, who's, you know, like say, what I consider one of, if not the best rugby coach in, in the world. And, um yeah, all the opportunities that you get from that. So it's been, um, yeah, it's been really enjoyable. Steve, can I ask you, you've had a pretty crazy five years. You've experienced some yeah. very, very yeah. high highs and some pretty yeah. low lows. Yeah. Did, was there ever a moment you fell out of love with the game? Oh, most definitely, Tom, yeah. I think, um, you know, probably I only got my love back for the game and, and for coaching, um, you know, I, you know, probably six months ago. Um, you know, I was doing a little bit for, for the nice last year. Um, my, my role was coaching mental. So, um, yeah, I was sort of just there as, um, you know, someone with a sounding board for Adam, but more so mentoring the assistant coaches and helping them with, you know, how they, um, you know, present in front of the playing group and, you know, their drill design and, you know, how they facilitate the training sessions and, and just being a, a bit of a, yeah, a bit of a mentor to those guys. I was doing that two days a week. And I reckon that started to reinvigorate it in some ways, you know, because it wasn't all in, if that makes sense. And I was just driving from Sydney two days a week, spending a bit of time with the coaches. And it was it was purely about trying to help the coaches develop. And then um, Adam asked me to come up to Twin Waters when the competition all got moved to Queensland. So I actually spent the last, I don't know how many weeks, eight weeks or 10 weeks or whatever it was, Actually, being hands on again on the field, which, which again, I think that sort of started to work the appetite. Um, but yeah, I most definitely did. Um, you know, the, the criticism, the ridicule, and, um, you know, and also we underperformed um, in 2020. So, all those things, and, you know, just a lot of the peripheral stuff, mate, just I'd had a gutful of. Um, and regardless of what you said, you know, I said I was sacked for the Broncos. I, I thought the best interest of the team and the club. That you know, I stepped stepped down, and, and you know, thankfully I had a really good working relationship with Carl Morris, the chairman, and um, you know, we're able to to handle that exit in, in the right manner. Um, but yeah, I definitely needed some time away from from the game and from coaching, and um, yeah, I feel like I you know, this last two I feel like I. I was at my best as a coach um, again, and um, you know, really on top of it. Um, and I think that, you know, reflected in a way that, yeah, you know, I carried myself as a coach and how I performed as a coach in, in the most recent sort of test series. And I reckon it's been a bit of a, yeah, it's almost now. I think it's been two years since I finished the Brazil. It's um, it took a little bit of time mate, to, to get to get it to get it back. My last question for you, Sebes. Even though you rarely know your future plans, you'd know what your goals are. Can I ask you what your goals are for your career going forward? Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I get asked this a little bit. I reckon one of the things that 
mistakenly I've, I've done at different times um, is always look ahead and and not really um, stay in the moment and enjoy the moment. Like, I reckon that's one thing that I've done really well in the time at England. Like, just start focusing the moment. Like, you know, so that's recent tour to Australia. It was, it was super enjoyable. It was a bit surreal because you're playing against the, your home country. But, you know, just really enjoying the opportunity to, to coach England, be part of the coaching club with England, against an Australian team, on a tour, to play at places like the SCG and at Suncorp and, and, and over in Perth. And, and just, so just really stay in the present. So... My, my whole focus is the World Cup next year. And like I said, you know, who knows what happens in, in sport. Professional sport's a funny thing, but, you know, I'm so intrigued to the World Cup next year. Um, all my focus is on helping England you know, win the World Cup next year. And so that's my goal at the moment. And I do a good job with that, mate. And I enjoy, you know, the coaching, you know, if I enjoy and really invest time in, in, in joining the experience and then whatever happens after that will happen. But I've just I've got fallen the trap before of looking too far ahead. You don't enjoy the moment. And um, I'm really trying to as a coach, you know, we talk about the players or as coaches we talk about the players, but you know, stay in the moment, you know, don't you know, don't dwell on the past, you know, don't look too far ahead, you know, focus on the moment, focus on your next job. And and that's what I'm trying to do, mate. Um and as I said, mate, you know, uh, there, there, there'll be uh, opportunities post-World Cup in both sports, but um, I just really want to enjoy it. Do as good a job as I can for the next guys because I, I really um, love the environment they've got there. And, um, yeah, what will be, will be. Well, seems it's been a real thrill to get you on the show today. Uh, you've been so great with your time. I could have gone on for hours. Uh, you're someone I've got a ton of respect for. It's been great having you on. Hopefully not the last time. A big thanks to Anthony for coming on the show. He's been really busy the past few months with the English Rugby Union team. So to get him on today, I appreciate it. And we will have him on again in the future. By the way, if you want to get in contact with me, you can on Twitter at TCanfell. And don't forget to give the 60 Go Facebook page a like as well. My name is Tom Canfell. Thanks so much for listening. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe. And until next time, this has been the 60 Go podcast. And that is full time.